If you're visiting with us today, we're looking at a series that is basically the big picture is shift. We want to look at the things that God wants us to shift in our lives. Now, that might be in a positive sense. God might want us to shift gears or shift focus. And it might be in more of a negative sense that God wants us to pull back a bit or be less consumed by things of the world and shift our focus back to God. So it's a big theme. But we've broken that theme down a little bit and... Um, I've broken the first sermon series into a theme called The Other Side of Normal. Well, another way I want to put that is living the kingdom of God. Because when we live the kingdom of God, we actually live on the other side of what this world calls normal. So everything about a a kingdom mindset, a Christian heart that is sold out for God, that is, is yearning for the things of God, that is aligned with God's will and purpose for our lives, will transform into a very different way of living. So we won't look at this realm, this paradigm that we live in the same way. We will look at it through the eyes of, of King Jesus and his will and purpose for our life, and his assignment, his mandate for our lives is very different to the mandate that we would make up. Because our mandate is all about my needs and what pleases me, yet a kingdom mindset is being sold out for what our king says is our purpose. And what our king says is what he wants us to do with our life, which equals the word sacrifice and surrender. And that's not a popular theme in the modern 21st century. It's all about me, what's good for me, what's best for me. But the kingdom of God is about understanding that God has called you to a purpose. And that purpose is not to live life the way you want. It's to live it surrendered to the king of kings and to live it on the other side of normal. And I think the struggle that we have in a lot of our modern Christianity is that we try to live half our lives in this world and how for our lives living for God, and that equation doesn't work. You've either got to be totally sold out for God or get out. It doesn't work being half-hearted. Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm about the things of God. And I think in our Christian context, especially in the Western culture, we've got lukewarm. And I think we've got lukewarm because we've lost the value, we've lost the impact of what the kingdom of God is, what it stands for, what it represents, what it offers us, what it calls us to, what it asks us to deliver. And if we can get back to that basic fundamental kingdom of God, what it means, what it means for our lives, then we're going to very radically see life differently. We're going to see ourselves differently. We're going to see what our lives count for to be very differently. And what it really is is a paradigm shift it's a, it's a very radical change in the way that you view this world to see yourself as part of the colony of heaven on earth. So just as we were colonised by the British and we're very British because of their influence and because of the way they governed our lives, the same principle applies for us here on earth. We are a colony of heaven. God set you and me up here to reign on earth, to represent him and to colonise this world with his kingdom. And we don't think too much about kingdom. We think a lot more about church, but we should think more about the kingdom of God. The church is just the custodian of the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is way bigger than this little gathering here. The kingdom of God is, is, is the, the battlefront. It is the forefront of what God wants to do. And in fact, it is the very essence of who God is. And we're going to look at that today. So when Jesus said, repent, 
change your mind. He told us why. He said because the kingdom of God's here. God's government is breaking in to our earthly realm and changing that to be possible to be a heavenly realm. So whatever happens in heaven can happen on earth. And that's the mindset that we need to live with. So that changes everything. When you think in the natural realm about healing or sickness, we would think a certain way. Go to the doctor, take some antibiotics. Not that those things are wrong, but a kingdom mindset paints a different perspective on that. So when Peter and John were at the temple and there was a man there who was a lame, they didn't say, I know a good doctor you can visit or a specialist. They said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now that's the other side of normal. That's thinking, God, what do you want to do? What does your power and authority want to do in this situation? And and that's the shift that has to happen in our lives. And I think we've got... Can, We've got conditioned to being a bit lazy and lackadaisical about the kingdom of God. And I think we need to stir that up. It was the main message of Jesus. All the parables that he taught about were about the kingdom of God. He said it was why he was sent. And he said, I have to go to every town and every village and teach people about the kingdom of God. And it's so important that we do because if we understand the kingdom of God, then we understand that infinite perspective of God's authority. In other words, God is completely in control. He has complete and utter power over everything and every situation. There's no circumstance, no situation in your life where God's authority, God's power can't be involved. So that changes everything. Changes every problem that you have when you bring God in. It changes every struggle that you have when you have God's perspective. So we, we understand God's authority. We also understand the universal scope of God's government. In other words, God's way of doing things has a place in everything that we're on about, everything that we do. It has a place in our marriages. It has a place in the way we raise children. It has a place in the way we conduct ourselves in the workplace. It has, a, it has relevance in everything. God's will and purpose, God's governmental plan for our lives, if we pick it up and live it, will impact everything. And the scope of it is universal. So we have a problem in our society with something. We don't have to conjure up a solution. We go to the Word of God and we find that there's a kingdom government solution or program or plan or something that can happen that can bring this society in alignment with the way God wants things done, his righteous way of doing things. It's also, if we understand the kingdom of God, an appropriation of our rights and privileges. We get the fact, if we think kingdom, that we are sons of the Most High God. And because we are sons of the Most High God, there are privileges and rights that I have that the average guy out there does not have. I don't mean that in a competitive way. I just mean it in a privileged way that you have stuff at your disposal that they don't have. You have the love of God shed abroad in your life. Therefore, that should mean my, my, my view of myself, my self-worth should be incredibly high, not downtrodden and downcast because the king of kings loves me. He reigns in my life and therefore I understand that I'm a precious possession of the king. I'm his son. He's bestowed on me great value, great worth, great blessing. 
He's cloaked me with righteousness. He's, he's, he's sealed me with his spirit. He put his kingship stamp on my life and said, this is my possession. Therefore, how can we look in the mirror and go, I have no value. I have no worth. So a kingdom mindset, it's not an arrogant thing. It's just your rights as a citizen. You often see it on the news, you know, when, the, when someone's charged in another country, you know, the, the embassy goes in and says, you can't treat our citizen like that. You know, he has rights. Well, we have rights and we should exercise those rights. We should utilise those rights. And the last thing, it's a, it's a, if we understand the kingdom of God, it's a realisation or an, probably a better word is an activation of the vestment and bestowment. Now, you know when... A king knights somebody who gets the, you know, the sword and I dub these uh, Scott of shooting deer or whatever you do. <laughs> so I know, you, I know you like shooting deer. But, but this is kingdom language and it's kingdom mentality that God has vested us, bestowed upon us roles and responsibilities in his kingdom purposes. And here's the thing. God will not act without us. He's passed the baton on to you and me as his representatives in the colony of earth to act on his behalf. God cannot move without humanity. He's designed it that way. That was his plan to bestow upon us the kingdom authority of the king in our lives so that we are acting on behalf of the king. It's no different whether Jesus turns up here today and prays or whether Mark turns up here to pray. Because if the king lives in me, then it's the same thing as the king speaking. We've lost that mentality. We've lost it and therefore we have taken a step back. We've shied away from the real mandate of power and authority that we have and we need to rediscover that. And I think that was why it was Jesus' main message because if we get that Kingdom mentality, everything else flows out of it. If you understand the kingdom, then you understand faith. If you understand the kingdom, then you understand right authority. You understand everything. It's all central to who God is and what God does. So we connect with the kingdom message because it addresses the most deep-seated longing of our hearts. It's why God made us. Let us make man in our image and let us give them dominion over the earth. We've been given the charge to rule over this earth. Everybody's waiting for, the, for us to go to heaven. No, we're supposed to rule now. We're supposed to live the kingdom of God now, in the present, in our circumstances, in our workplaces, in our families, so that that kingdom rule floods out into our society and changes it. But we're all, we've all resigned ourselves to the fact that it can't change. We've got to get bull-nosed. We've got to get hard-headed about the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say? Since the days of John the Baptist of now, the kingdom of God has been violently advancing and violent men and women lay hold of it. It's not for wussy-pussy people because it's a kingdom and kingdoms are all about power. They're all about authority. They're all about rulership. They're all about keeping things the way that the king wants them, demanding, in fact, that the things are the way that the king wants them. Because kings don't negotiate. They have a rule and they want it that way. So here's your memory verse for the week. Do not be afraid, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. What a great verse. 
What a great verse. He's been pleased to give it. It's actually what he wants to do. He wanted us to take up his kingdom and use it. So a kingdom is the governing influence of a king over his territory. We all know that. Impacting it with his personal will, purpose and intent, producing a culture, values, morals and lifestyle that reflect the king's desires and nature for his citizens. So it's the king's job to create an atmosphere and environment where his will and purpose flows out to his people. They get that and they take it up and live it and he watches over that and makes sure that all his citizens follow what he wants. So the first thing I want to do today is just look at this word kingdom. It's made up of two words, king and dominion. The first part is a king and a king is really just a person like you or me or in, or in the case of, of God, um, a supernatural cosmic being. But the, the idea of being a king is that the character of the king will determine the nature of the kingdom. So if I'm a loving, compassionate, kind, merciful you know, king, then the nature of the kingdom that people live in is going to be very different than if I'm a tyrant. And I'm cruel, and I'm, and I'm, you know, merciless, and I'm, you know, dragging taxes out of my people all the time and treating them as a, as a resource and possession just to use up. The kingdom, the flavour of the kingdom, would be very different, wouldn't it? But we have a benevolent God, a benevolent King, a King who's compassionate, kind, merciful, loving, and we could we could have an endless list almost of the good things that God is, that our King is. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord our King is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. So we get this this very reassuring understanding that our king is a good king by nature. Inherent to his being, he is by character a beautiful, loving God who does the best for us as his citizens. Anything God does is in our best interest. He can't do it any other way. Might not feel like it from our side, but God is all-knowing and so he knows what is best and he will only do what is the best for us. So that's our king. And a king who has no land or no geographical area to reign over or rule over really isn't a king because he doesn't have power or authority over everything. So we need to ask ourselves, well, if God is our king, he's a good God, but what does he rule over? What is his dominion? And his dominion is everything. He rules over all the earth and all the heavens. There is nothing that God does not own. And that's an important aspect of a king because the more that the king owns, the more prestigious he is, the more powerful he is, the the more splendor he has. So if God owns everything, therefore he can't be any greater than he is already. He can't be any more supreme. His majesty is complete, and that's an incredible way to view God's kingdom. Not only is he a great God, but he has authority, he has rulership over everything. 
There is nothing that God doesn't have rulership over, and that's incredibly reassuring for us. Um, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So when we put those two together, the king and his dominion, what we're really recognising is that King Jesus is God. He is deity because he's not a normal king. He wasn't born. He, wasn't, he didn't get his kingship because he was born into the family of Windsor and he became Prince Charles and he had an heir to the throne. He's a king because that's who he is. He can't be anything else. He wasn't created. He was just a king. It's the perfect label to put on God. He's not a president. He's not a prime minister. He's a king with all authority. He's not negotiating his power with anybody. He's the absolute king of kings. He's a deity. He's, he's God. And he's righteous in all that he's done and doing and going to do. He's virtuous. He's generous. He's magnanimous. And therefore, if we understand the character of who God is, the only thing we can end up doing is going, he's worthy of praise. We come to a point where in our human reasoning, we just go, no matter which way I look at God, it always equals, wow, he's awesome. There's no other way to look at it. And that's why in scripture, when we try to describe God or capture who he is, we always talk in the language of absolutes. That's the only way to talk about God. How do you talk about his greatness? Well, he, his greatness is unfathomable. Lord, where can I go where you are not? You know. So no matter what language we use, we end up with infinitive absolutes because that's the only way to describe God. And, and it brings us to worship. It brings us to a place of surrender and, and recognition of just how good God is alone. But then we think about what God has done for us and then there's a double wow. It's double expletives. It's not only is he a great God, but he loved me so much that he gave his life to rescue me. And we're left with an incredible sense of worship. So when we think about King Jesus, we think about he is an omnipresent king. He is everywhere. It's nowhere God isn't. He is omniscient. He knows everything. Big words, but he's a big God. It's the only way to describe it. Omnipresent. Omni just means maximum presence. Omni-science, um, the knowledge of everything. God is everywhere. He's the maximum of all things. And his dominion is all-powerful. He's omnipotent, powerful. Um, it's incomprehensible and it's unequaled might. And that's what Moses said. Lord, when he crossed the Red Sea and got to the other side, he said, Lord, who among the gods is like you? There's no one like you. You're majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. That's the God that we serve. That should permeate your heart. That should be the reason why you live. That should be the reason why whenever anyone picks up a guitar and starts to worship, you are in awe of the God that we serve. That's our only rightful response as created beings when we look at our creator is to be captivated by our God. Okay, so a king is the ultimate authority. That's pretty easy to understand. His, his authority is absolute. That's what makes him a king. 
If he was a president, he was voted into power. But as a king, you don't, you don't question his authority. It's absolute. And a king is designated king by birthright, but God got his kingly title because he's the creator who can never be dethroned. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And as king, he's, we use this word sovereignty, which means just the extent of power and reign that God has. He's a sovereign God. He's the only rightful power and authority in his jurisdiction, and his jurisdiction is the heavens and the earth. Everything that was, is, and ever will be, God is king over it. He's completely self-determining, like God doesn't have a committee where he goes, I'm, I'm thinking about we should do this. What does everybody think? He doesn't negotiate. God just does. He's self-governing. He's self-determining. He's God. He doesn't need to consult with you and me because he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's ever-present. So it would not make sense for God to come and you know, get our counsel. Oh, John, what do you think? <laughs> no, it works the other way around. John comes and says, God, what do you think? That's the rightful place to come from. So the king's word is law. No one can countermand his orders. No one can negate his pronouncements, set aside his decrees, or amend his statutes. So whatever God has said in his word, whatever God says to us now through his spirit, because God the king has said it, it is absolute, non-negotiable, perfect truth. And we can stand upon that. It will never change. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to our heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to our eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. By, all, by the word of God, by his laws, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. So it's very reassuring to know that the, the word of God, it hems us in. It keeps us on the right track and it protects us from getting off the track. And if God says something, we can stand on it and know that it is perfect truth. cannot be compromised. It is the truth that God has given us. So number six, a king embodies the government of his kingdom. So wherever the king is, his entire government is present. Whenever a king speaks, his entire government is speaking. So the government of God moves wherever the king is. Okay, That's really important for us to, to understand because a king embodies the government of his kingdom. We get that. And the kingdom of God is here with us because the king of heaven is here in the hearts and lives of us, his citizens. So think about it. Wherever Jesus is, his kingdom rule is there. And so if we've invited Jesus to be Lord of our lives and to be enthroned in our hearts, then he's reigning within us. Therefore, the king is right here in my being. So Jesus said to the Pharisees when they were asking when the kingdom of God would come, he replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. So I can't look at you and go, hmm, Kerry's got the kingdom. Uh, Scott's got the kingdom. So externally looking at you, I wouldn't know. But because you can't say there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. 
You've made the decision whether you're going to put Jesus on the throne of your life and the outworking of that decision would be I could watch your life and observe, but just by looking at you, I probably wouldn't know. You don't look any different to the people out there. But enthroning the Lord on your life changes everything. And, and that's the principle we've got to understand, that the kingdom of God is within you because the king is within you and he's ruling on your life. So if John goes into a situation where someone needs prayer for healing, he doesn't have to get into that situation and go, oh, I feel a little inadequate. I'm, you know, I feel I'm, I'm not sure what to do here. You are the representative of God. In that situation, God has given you the mantle of authority. In fact, he's bestowed upon you the assignment to do that. We get a bit wishy-washy and a bit, oh, I don't know, Lord, because we don't understand the kingdom of God. The king is within us and he's given us permission. He's longing for us to take up that mindset that we have that right and privilege in the kingdom and when we start to enter into those transactions of kingdom authority, then we'll start to see God move because the kingdom of God is not a theory. Even though I'm teaching you principles and we're looking at it from a theoretical perspective, the kingdom of God is not a theory. It's not just about sitting in a classroom. It's about activating it in real life. It's about demonstrating that the kingdom is actually real. And how do we demonstrate that? By teaching truths? Yes, but then those truths outwork themselves into life. If the kingdom of God doesn't work, if it doesn't change things, then what's the point? If there's no power to make a difference, if there's no power to change lives, then let's pack up and go home. Because it's really just, it's just a religious club then. It's just a bunch of good ideas. But this is kingdom authority. This is a kingdom mandate that God set up from the very beginning and said to us as he's created beings, Adam and Eve, please understand, you have my authority to rule over the earth. You're my representatives. Do it. And what did they do? They blew it. But Jesus came and he said, okay, I'm going to restore my kingdom. It's here now because I'm here and I'm the king. And that's why when Jesus was teaching the disciples about being filled with the Spirit, he said, look, I'm going back to my my throne to sit at the right hand of my Father, but I'm going to send my Spirit, who's just like me, he's a king, because it's me, and I will dwell in your hearts and rule there. So where's the king? Seated at the right hand of the Father? No, not if you live in the kingdom. He's there, but he's here as well. He's dwelling in your life right now. So you are the voice of God. You are the body of God. You're the hands, the feet, the eyes, the ears, the heart of God. And that's what the kingdom principle is. It's not just come and be part of a club. It's come and be a kingdom warrior. It's come and be someone who advances the kingdom of God, knowing that you have that privilege and that honour. So a king chooses who will be a citizen. In a democracy, we, we vote in our leaders, right? We said, we want Mr. Abbott. We want, a, we want, a, um, you know, we want him rather than somebody else. And, and, and so, so we choose our leaders. But, but in a kingdom, the king chooses who will be the citizens. And that's the beautiful part about God's kingdom is that he chose us. He chose us. We didn't choose him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. When God sat in the supernatural realm, 
you know, the immaterial heaven, and he looked and he said, I'm going to create an earth and I'm going to put people on it. He looked down the tunnel of time and he said, Chris, I'm going to choose you. Why? I don't know. Why did he choose me? The point is he did. He picked us out. We are special amongst the six billion people in the earth. God chose us. That doesn't tell us something about the benevolence of our God. Nothing's going to. He loves us. So you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. For he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Number eight, the king's wealth is measured by his property. So no kingdom is greater or richer than the kingdom of God because it encompasses all that exists in both the natural and the supernatural realm. So the king's property, what he owns, is very much tied up with his glory. So the more he owns, the richer he is, the more glory he has. So if God owns everything, equals glory. You just can't get away from the fact that God is the wealthiest king there ever was and ever will be because he owns everything. So a king's prosperity is measured by the status of his citizens. If the citizens are poor, then it's a bad reflection on the king's capacity to rule and preside and care for his citizens. That's the role of a king, to look after his domain, to protect it and to make it prosperous. And therefore, if he puts his thumb down on his people and rules them like a tyrant, he's not a good king. But God is a good king and the status of his kingship is reflected in you and me. And because he has blessed us so much, therefore, it gives glory to him. Because he's a great God and he's blessed us as citizens. Number 10, a king's name is the essence of his authority. A king can delegate authority to anyone he pleases to act in his name or on his behalf. He sets his kingly seal as his official mark distinguishing the validity of a royal action. So if I'm a king and I'm seated on my throne in, in London and I want to send a message to some other part of England, I can send a herald ahead of me with a piece of paper with my will and purpose written on it and my seal stamped. And when that herald reads that out, everyone knows it's as good as the king speaking. It's the same thing. And so you need to understand that you are God's herald. You are the bearers of the good news of the kingdom of God. And every time you open your voice and you speak the truth of God, you are God's herald. Now that's a, it's a shift of thinking to understand that. But that's the principle of a king bestowing his best blessing upon his people is to give them authority so that they can keep doing in the kingdom what the king wants done. And we end up with that beautiful kingdom mentality flowing through the church. So kingship is the essence of who and what God is. What other way can you describe him? He's a king, not just a king, the king of all kings. And we don't make him king. All we do is acknowledge that he is king. That's all we can do. We can't, we've just got to come to a point of surrender, recognition that he is God. And that's what Peter did, didn't he? And when Jesus came to the disciples, he said, so you've seen how tough this kingdom life is? 
Are you going to leave? Because lots of people were starting to leave Jesus and weren't following anymore. And he said to the disciples, so what are you going to do? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, good word to use, Lord, where else would we go? So he understood as knowledge in his head that Jesus was king. He understood that he had all authority and all power. So he knew that any other choice that he made other than to follow Jesus would be utter foolishness. And he said, Lord, where else do we go? We've got to serve you. We've got to follow you. So knowing his sovereignty, knowing that Jesus is king and has all authority and power, knowing that he is Lord, that he owns everything, together with knowing his character should bring us to a decision of surrender and obedience. We, we should just be incredibly overwhelmed. You know, there's a beautiful song that I think it's Kari Job wrote, and it's um, one of the lines of the song is, um, you know, it is awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. That's reverence for who God is. And we need to recapture that sense of, of the power, the goodness, the majesty, the splendor, the holiness, the beauty of God. Because in that place... We will be servants. In that place, we will be broken. In that place, we will be submissive and we'll do whatever our king wants us to do. But it's not just knowing who God is because even the demons know that Jesus is king. It's not just cerebral knowledge because Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Lots of people knew Jesus was Lord. They knew there was something special about him. It's not just knowing that. It's letting that permeate your heart so that you live a life of submission to the king. That's the key. So what's even more captivating about who God is is that he gave his life for us, stepped into humanity, suffered, died, went through all that he did because he wanted to purchase our affection. He wanted us to come to Catalyst on a Sunday morning with hearts so overwhelmed with the goodness of God that it wasn't a question of should I, will I, do I feel like I will worship? No, you can't help but worship. You can't help but just be flooded with a sense of the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the majesty of God. You know, the awestruck wonder of who God is. Now, that's intellectual knowledge, but it has to translate into a spiritual transaction in our being. Because if it's not in every fibre of who we are, we're always going to find a reason why not. But you can't understand who God is and say no. You've got to say yes and amen. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. So we revere his worthship. That's where we get the title worth-ship. Got to be careful how I say that. I want you to understand this. If I gave Callie the assignment tomorrow to go and visit a king, I bet you she would wear the best clothes she could find and she would go and spend a fair bit of money on trying to find a gift or a, an, a present to give to that king that was in some way, shape of, or form an expression of your recognition of their role and their position and responsibility. Now, the worst thing that Kelly could do was bring no gift, and the even worse thing she could do was bring a gift that didn't reflect the majesty of God or the king. 
And so when we think about our lives, what is it that God wants us to give? Does he want us to give gold or frankincense or myrrh? You you can't give God anything that he doesn't already have. So there really isn't anything materialistic that we can give to God that's going to be, you know, wow, thank you, says God. No, he wants our lives. He wants our surrender. He wants to know that he's Lord of our lives. He wants to know that if he says tomorrow, Laura, go. There won't be any question. There won't be any doubt. There'll be, yes, Lord. Remember Mary? What did she say? As you will, Lord, let it be done to me. That's a kingdom mindset. That's the other side of normal. And we've got to get there as a people. So we live our lives and we give our lives as the only gift truly worthy of honouring who God is. Now, if God never did anything for us, that alone would be reason to worship him. But when we consider everything that God has done for us, count your blessings one by one. You know, we've got this incredible list of good things that we can be thanking God for, whether that be the cross, whether that be our families, whether that can be the food on our tables. We, we, I don't know any other way to explain it to you than if you are not sold out for God, if your heart doesn't beat for the things of God, if you're not tearful when you're worshipping God and thinking about him, you haven't captured the kingdom of God. It's the very essence of who God is, his kingdom, his kingdom purposes, his kingdom authority. You can't have a kingdom without a king. So it starts with knowing the king. It starts with being able to describe him, being, being you know, short of words because you can't get your head around who this God is that we serve. And when the world sees it, that we are sold out for this king, and we're obedient to him and we're sacrificing and we're willing to do whatever he wants, then the world will know it's his kingdom because he's our king. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that when we just stop our busy lives, when we still our minds and we, we try to just connect with who you are, Lord, we, we can only say that you're amazing. You just truly are. Whether we think about the fact that you never change, whether we think about the fact that you're, you know, you're faithful in everything you do, whether we think about the type of love that you express, Lord, it doesn't matter what attribute or characteristic about you that we, we try to meditate upon or study or explore, we just end up with this wow. Our God is incredible. Not only are you incredible just in your essence of who you are, you're incredible in the sense of what you do for us individually, what you've poured out in our lives, what you've bestowed upon us as sons of the Most High God. Our our inheritance in you is the glorious riches of all that you own. And that is incomprehensible. And so, Lord, why do we live as paupers? Why do we live with spirits downtrodden? Why do we live in such a way that we don't see the kingdom? We don't live the kingdom. Father, help us to rediscover that, that mindset of incredibly being blessed by you, being called a son of the Most High God is a beautiful thing. You, you Jesus, you are my king.
And Lord, my prayer today is that we would come back to that place of surrender. It's not just something we do once in a lifetime. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross daily. It's a daily decision to put Jesus on the throne of our life and live in obedience. And Father, I pray that you would help us just to capture that kingdom of God afresh in our lives. Lord, this morning we're going to sing a a beautiful song that declares that you are my king. This morning what I'd like you to do as we sing is just stay seated. And uh, just as you feel led today, I want you to stand when you feel ready as a, a declaration of perhaps renewing your commitment to God as the king of your life. The Lord over all that you do. A Lord over all your possessions. and Coming back to that place like Peter of saying, well, Lord, where else do we go? You're it. Your kingdom is it. It's an everlasting kingdom. Cannot be shaken. That's where I want to invest my life. So, Father, today, as we think about your kingdom, let it come. Let your will be done in our lives. Just as it is in heaven, Father, we want to be your people of purpose. We want to be a people of power. We just don't want to talk theories and and have great Bible studies but never see the kingdom of God advancing in power. Father, we want to take up the mantle that you've bestowed upon us. Rise up. Wake up if we have to, but rise up and forcefully advance the kingdom of God. We We were made for this. It's in our destiny, it's part of our DNA to be the sons of God, to be the daughters of God. And Lord, don't let us as a people settle for anything less. Don't let us get lazy, half-hearted, caught up in the things of this world. Let us be kingdom, kingdom people, kingdom power, and let your presence fall, Lord. So this morning, let's make this the time where we stand before our King in dedication. So just sit and when you feel like you want to stand before your King and worship Him, let's do that in your own time and your own way. Let's give God the one thing that He wants, us and our affection. Lord, we do want to do that. We want to pour out our lives this morning over you as our King. Fall at your feet and praise you for the King that you are. Father, right now in heaven, there are millions of angels and people declaring how great you are. What a privilege it is to be part of that kingdom. Right now, right around this earth, There are millions of people that are declaring the same name of Jesus and proclaiming the majesty and the power of our God. Father, we're part of that this morning. And this nation needs to know that the kingdom of God has come. 
this great south land of the Holy Spirit needs an awakening of the kingdom of God. And Father, we want to be part of that, advancing the good news, bringing sight to blind eyes, bringing freedom to captives. Father, your kingdom is the greatest pursuit we could ever choose to go after. And I pray today, Father, we might feel some of the intensity of that, some of the urgency, some of the importance of not playing games with God, but being sold out for you. There's no other way. And so we declare our love for you today, Lord God. Receive our worship as we give you your worship with our lives today.